Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Friday live edition of the Peddling Fiction podcast. I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, Johnny Probita, and back with me after causing a, a shitstorm at his daughter's school is Justin Hillbilly Boy Campbell. Why don't you tell everybody what you've been up to today? Oh, you know, kids get bullied and schools choose not to do anything about it. And I'm not exactly the uh, standby and put up with that kind of thing uh, style of parent. So I decided to open up a can of worms and put everybody involved on blast. And uh, it's been an interesting day. Uh, I've actually gotten a lot accomplished as uh, as it so happens. It turns out if you start a uh, social media whirlwind against a school they don't really like that, and they actually like try to do something to to solve the problem. Is this a public or a private school? It's a public school. Okay, interesting. Well, um, good for you. You've accomplished more than I have today. <laughs> Other than doing some prep for this show, uh, feeding a cat, and watering some plants. Um, didn't even finish my watering yet. In my defense, I am an hour earlier than you. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, pretty excited for, for today's show. I, I really enjoy the, the live editions, and I think we got some good stuff to talk about today. Yeah, this one's going to be entertaining. We've got, uh, we got a bunch of we got a bunch of good stuff on the docket for today. What do you want to start with? Uh, we're gonna... Let, let's do the COVID stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah, so there were a couple different articles. There was one from the Times where Fauci says something clearly went wrong as he looks back on COVID and how things were ha- handled. And then there was also a, an article from uh, from Fox where Fauci absolves himself of responsibility for the lockdown for the lockdowns and says, "Show me a school that I shut down." <laughs> Which one you want to start with? Um, let's do the the New York Times one first. Because it was behind a paywall. I, I wasn't able to um, go through the whole thing. If you're sneaky, there are ways to get around it. Yeah, well, I'm not that sneaky and I'm kind of lazy. So <laughs> I'm leaning on you for this one. So, Fauci, uh, they, talk about, they talk about how uh, Elon Musk joked on Twitter that his pronoun pronouns were prosecute Fauci and uh they Fauci's been marked as mocked as Dr. Doolittle and uh that he had blood on his hands let's see what else are they talking about um 
so this is uh, an interview that they that they do with him where they they ask him some questions and uh what were yeah what were some of the the best did they ask any interesting questions or was was it all softball shit from the new york times um let's see in March of 2020, you and many others warned that COVID could result in as many as 100 or 200,000 American deaths, making the case for quite drastic interventions on the in the way we lived our daily lives. At the time, you thought worst-case scenarios of more than a million deaths were quite unlikely. Now, here we are three years later, and having done quite a lot to try to stop the spread of the virus, we've passed 1.1 million deaths. What went wrong? Okay, now, hang on a second. I don't remember, first of all, I don't remember any estimates around 100,000. I remember everything was around a million, and that was not like worst case scenario. That was like almost guaranteed to happen. Yeah, Am I remembering? If we don't shut down the economy, if we don't shut down everything, a million people are going to die, period. Yeah, it wasn't like this is, um, you know, in our wildest dreams, a million people could die from that. I don't remember anyone saying that a hundred, a hundred to two hundred thousand nationwide. I remember them saying that about just like Florida when Florida was <laughs> doing stuff. Like, oh, they're they're gonna have a hundred thousand deaths, excess deaths, in addition to all the other ones. Okay, so Fauci, yeah, clearly something went wrong, and I don't know exactly what it was. <laughs> Oh, my God. But the reason we know it went wrong is that we are the richest country in the world. And on a per capita basis, we've done worse than virtually all other countries. And there's no reason that a rich country like ours has to have 1.1 million deaths. It's unacceptable. Uh, OK, uh, this really bothers me when um, these people say we're the richest country in the world. That you hear it all like Bernie Sand every every sentence out of Bernie Sanders' mouth is um, is started with "we're the richest country in the world." It's always a precursor to whatever he's going to talk about, and I just don't understand how you get to that. You get to that notion that we're the richest. Like we are bleeding red ink on a state, local, and federal level. Uh, we're running trillion dollar deficits. We're borrowing. We're, we have the debt ceiling thing. And I don't know. Uh, I haven't seen any updates on the debt ceiling deal. I know they were close to a deal, whatever was going to happen. But um, they literally every time we come to the debt ceiling, they they essentially say we're going to default unless you allow us to borrow more money. Now, to me, that doesn't sound like the richest country in the world if you have to borrow in order to be able to pay the bills that you've already racked up. Uh, but anyway, so, um, wait, did you, you just scrolled off from the, sorry, I, I was looking at something else. So he, he says that, you know, we have, as a country, we've got 3,300 official deaths per million. And uh, you had a country like Peru that had some of the world's strictest lockdowns, but they had a, they had deaths of around 6,400 per million. So obviously, uh, you know, uh, the United Kingdom came in about the same as the U.S. at 3280. Uh, Brazil's 3250. Russia was 2700. Sweden was 2200. Germany was 2000. Like uh, what? And and Sweden were Sweden were the ones that were that didn't do anything, and they were at 2200. So they were 1100 deaths per million less than what we were. 
I mean, one, you know, the most locked down uh, country in the world, Peru, had like double the deaths that we did. He starts to blame it on vaccination. He says it's because it's only 68% of the country is vaccinated and that you have uh, you have red states that are unvaccinated and blue states that are heavily vaccinated. And you have higher death rates amongst Republic Republicans than you do Democrats and independents. What I, I haven't actually where's the I haven't actually seen real statistics that 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 show that, that that's the case. Like anywhere. I, there's no I haven't seen any legitimate statistics yeah. to back. Yeah, there's claim. a lot of problems. I mean, we've we've documented the problems with these so-called COVID deaths. I I suppose in theory it would make sense that there are more Republicans uh, dying than Democrats uh, because just because typically Republicans are older voters um, and COVID is a much more serious illness for older people. Uh, if you look at the the people that were dying from this, it was people like over the age of sixty, which predominantly Republicans probably dominate that. Um, that demographic. And, and then you have Democrats, you know, everybody under the age of 30, it seems like is a, is a Democrat these days. So th that makes sense to me, but I don't think, I don't think the vaccine, you know, what I just went through is a more plausible explanation than, Oh, the Republicans were refusing the vaccine. Well, and then like one of the other parts that he talks about was a, uh, he calls it a fractured healthcare delivery system and that there are disparate health disparities and uh, racial and ethnic health disparities that that a lot of the local public uh, health care suffers from attrition. And I mean, it's it's because these the way the policies are designed, they make it where either you're part of this big like global or I mean, really, it is global uh, national plan that you do exactly what the CDC and the NIH and all of them say, and you're part of this like huge network or you're cut off from everything. Like that's, that's the way that they run the system. So obviously the ones who are in like smaller areas don't have as high a quality or as many options for, for healthcare. And, and it's not like, they always bring it back to racism. It's not a racial or an ethnic thing. It's a, it's an economic thing. Like it's the, it's a rich versus poor thing. That's usually what it is. in a lot of these situations is it's the poorer parts of the country are the ones that suffer for, uh, for different reasons. Like anytime you look at the maps that show that they always try to say like, uh, these are the lowest income like areas. And these are the, or these are the places that have, you know, all of these different problems. And I try to highlight like that there are certain areas that are black, you know, predominantly black, there's always the Appalachians as well. It's like there, there's no black people there. I, I'm sorry, there's not. It's this. These are these usually are economic problems, not not racial problems. Yeah, black people don't seem to like the uh, mountainous areas of the country. I don't know why that is. Um, but yeah, it, it's always. I mean, rich people have a, a much. Um, easier time having a, a healthier lifestyle, a better diet they can afford, um, cleaner foods, and, and uh, they don't have to eat like garbage, you know, cheap processed stuff. They have more time to exercise. Um, they, you know, their, their jobs are usually less physically strenuous. So 
Yeah, I, I mean that that explains a lot of it as well. What's that? Scroll down that that next question right there. Uh, you called America's uh, pandemic performance virtually the worst in the world on a per capita basis. Um, it's it's pretty funny how he's in charge of the whole thing, and he's calling it the worst performance. But then he blames it on everybody but himself. It, it just. I, I've never seen people in uh, leadership positions just like like one of the things that makes a good leader is you take responsibility for things, and none of these people do that. They're well, and then always, he plays it, he, the way he plays it is he says like everybody did poorly, not just us. It was it wasn't just us that did poorly. Everybody did poorly. Nobody handled it well. Yeah, and it couldn't possibly. Yeah, he's like something went terribly wrong. I have no idea what it is. Like a after three years, he looks back and just has no idea what's going on, and couldn't possibly be blamed for anything. Um, didn't do anything wrong. It's always somebody else's fault. The people that didn't get vaccinated. It really is. Th these people are just so fucking despicable. <laughs> Like, and it's every time that it's somebody who's in a position of, of power. They're just like the worst people. It, yeah, it's it's really telling how he didn't have a single like none of these. We could go through every bit of it and it doesn't get any better. Everything that they asked him, he didn't have a real answer. Like he he did the the uh, political song and dance like tiptoe around the question without ever actually answering the question kind of bullshit thing that like he didn't take accountability for anything he didn't place blame on anyone in particular i mean he he said the thing about um red states and blue states and vaccination rate differences but other than that like he really didn't he didn't like blame on anything he just it, it was a very like mediocre uh interview like he didn't have he didn't contribute anything in in any meaningful way um, yeah, it, it's it really is an art that these fucking politicians have and these bureaucrats that they can talk forever without saying anything of substance. And it's it's still amazing to me that we follow all of these. Um, uh, like we, we still read these interviews, we listen to them, we're always tuning in to hear them talk and they never say anything. It's always just a bunch of um you know, political platitudes and run on sentences that run to nothing. <laughs> and it's just like every once in a while, you'll get like a little nugget, like some sort of admission that they don't even realize they're revealing. But other than that, there's just nothing of substance. And we just keep going through this song and dance, this charade uh, of political theater. And I think we'll get into some of that a little later on in the show. <laughs> I don't know if we're ever going to get sick of this, or if we're ever going to change the way that um, that this this show kind of goes, and that how politics works. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like this is how it's always going to be. But man, it, it I don't know. I I don't blame people for not following this at all. Well, and then you got him. He actually got a unlike in the Times interview. He actually got tested a little bit on the, on some of. Uh, or in this interview, he says, he says, show me a school that I shut down and show me a factory that I shut down. <laughs> never. I never did. Uh, Fauci said when asked about the consequences of handy, handy, heavy handed 
public health policies in a New York Times interview. Uh, I gave a public recommendation that echoed the CDC's recommendation, and people made a decision based on that. But I never criticized the, people, the way people who had to make the, the decision one way or the uh, one way or the other. I, I recall that being a direct lie. He was very critical of people who didn't uh, didn't abide by the rules, and he was the one on the stage. Like he can say he didn't shut anything down. He was the one on the stage giving these recommendations and making these announcements. Like you, you had like a, a almost a daily, like Fauci press conference just so he could yeah. tell us like what, what we were doing wrong and what we needed to do differently. Yeah. It, it, it's such a Weasley answer. Just show me. Yes. There's no footage of him going to some school and boarding up the windows and locking the doors, obviously. But we were like the entire country was conditioned to listen. Like this was the guy who was going to give up, give the marching orders to all the other places. And I love how they always just kind of point the finger back. Like I, I echoed the CDC and I bet you there's somebody from the CDC saying I echoed Fauci and it's just this big circle jerk going around and round. But yeah, they make uh, recommendations. And then what happens if you, if you go against their recommendations? Um, I, I don't know if any school, like, I know uh, a school in Milwaukee that um, opened up a lot earlier than other schools, but they still shut down for a long time. And once they opened up, they, have, they haven't had any problems since, and they've been open for years now. But I, I remember when people wanted to open their restaurants or their gyms, they were physically shut down by the government. Um, and who was the government taking their orders from? Like, if, if Fauci didn't recommend it, do you think, uh, you know, the police would show up to your gym and, and arrest you and, and lock, the place, lock the place down? I don't think so. Oh, he's such a weasel, man. What a weaselly guy. Well, in all the times that he flip-flopped, on different stuff like the masks and i mean it was yeah what does it what does it say when it comes to masking i don't know but i do know that the culture wars have been really uh, you just scrolled up past it i'm oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry i should let you do the reading since you have control <laughs> over the article uh really really tough from a public health standpoint ultimately epidemiologist sees it as an epidemiological phenomenon an economist sees it from an economic standpoint, and I see it from somebody in bed dying. Oh my God, dude. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's the one that's looking at it from like the best moral perspective, obviously, because he's, he's a saint. He's a saint. What was the, the Fauci statue that he had behind him? Oh, yeah. It was, um, a Jesus statue of, with Fauci or something like that. Yeah, they they did something. I look at the perspective of people dying. These people were just looking at it from like an economical standpoint, and they were looking at it from a, a scientific standpoint. I was looking at it as people dying in their beds. Yeah, what what a hero. Uh, here we go. I think almost paradoxically, you had people who were on the fence about getting vaccinated, thinking, why are they forcing me to do this? And that sometimes beautiful independent streak in our country becomes counterproductive. I mean, what has what has changed? What 
by the time the vaccine became readily available and was starting to make its rounds and people were getting were getting the shots, the uh, infection rates, death rates, everything else had already started to decline. Like, so you can't just you can't say that, well, the vaccine is the reason that everything started to decline because it had already been doing that before those became a thing. And also like depending on there, there are different statistics. Some places had really low vaccination rates and really low COVID rates and other places had really high vaccination rates and also really high and really low. Like it, it was all over the place. Like it was, it was a lot, a lot less uh, about who got vaccinated that got COVID and died from COVID and more about like, what were all of the other factors? Like what was the weather like in that place during the last three months? Like it, it, yeah. The, the vaccine yeah, thing was. Yeah. There's so many variables at play that it is difficult to, to make conclusions about this. It reminds me of the, uh, the Tom Woods quiz that he had where it was like, <laughs> you, you, you tried to guess like which state, uh, based on like the numbers did the like this 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 state had like a complete uh, ma masking from the beginning and they had vaccination this actually like guess where their numbers are and there was just like it almost seemed like there was no rhyme or reason to it you you were never gonna like based on whatever theory you had no matter what you guessed you were gonna be pretty much wrong unless you just happened to get lucky like it just didn't there was it didn't seem like there was any correlation between any of the policies that they implemented and any of the the covid statistics for for that uh for that area uh, he's but, he's still not convinced that the that the lab leak is uh true right yeah i saw that he but he was open to the idea i'm it said he was open to the idea uh we just weren't allowed to talk about it for the first year and a half two years because that was um, racist. Yeah. Okay. Everything. Um, yeah. Let, let's 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 take a look at this um, this mask study that came out. This bombshell of a mask study. This was pretty interesting. A new study by German researchers has concluded that face masks can cause carbon dioxide poisoning when worn even for short periods and may have contributed significantly to stillbirths when worn by pregnant women, as well as testicular dysfunction and cognitive decline in children, amongst other destructive health issues. Uh, yeah, and if you scroll up, so I was looking at this a little bit because, you know, all of the, every time we look at a study, I'm very curious as to how they conducted it. And it, it never seems to be like, I don't know, they do this stuff on rats and then we try to extrapolate it into how it would, how it would affect humans. Uh, but yeah, the, the study notes that even short-term exposure to concentrations of CO2 as low as 0.3% caused brain damage, increased anxiety, and impaired memory in both pregnant rats and young mice in one study. In another, when male mice were exposed to 2.5% CO2 for four hours, testicular cells and sperm were destroyed. The equivalent amount for humans would be 0.5% CO2 over the same time period. So which is, you know, it's, 
that seems weird to me that it's less of a percentage for the same amount of time in humans. I'm not sure. I didn't know that. Like, wouldn't I would think that it would take more CO2 in humans to because we're so much bigger. But I'm, not, I'm no scientist. So, uh, yet another example discovered that stillbirth and birth defects occurred in pregnant rats that were exposed to just 3% which would be the equivalent of 0.8% for humans, points out that found just five minutes of mask wearing resulted in CO2 levels between uh, increasing between 1.4 and 3.2%. Now, I wonder if the same amount of time applies, like five minutes of a, a mouse wearing. <laughs> By the way, how do they put these masks on the mice? I think they, I think they stimulate um, increasing the CO2 levels to a point that would be uh, relatively com comparable to if you were yeah yeah so they just pump the, they pump it into the box that the that the mice are in yeah that's what i'm assuming yeah um, it'd be pretty funny if they had little tiny mice masks <laughs> putting mouse muzzles on these poor things uh but you know it does, it does make you wonder because we've talked about it on the show before and there, you know, there was a lot of information coming out of the military. We went over that on one show of stillbirths, um, miscarriages, uh, women having all sorts of reproductive issues. And I mean, I don't know how else you explain a sudden jump. I, it, yeah, Swedish uh, researchers, the stillbirth increased from seven per thousand births to 21 per thousand births after the pandemic. And it's like, I mean, that's a, that's a threefold increase. Yeah, that's um, substantial. Yeah, it's just like you can't just be like, oh, well, there's, I don't know what else you would you would point that to other than just maybe COVID itself causes that, like, you know, like the effects of having COVID causes stillbirths, but. This one's pretty interesting. Uh, this Kevin Bass, uh, a review published by Cell Cell Press shows mask wearing may contribute to stillbirths and irreversible cognitive def uh, deficits in children, testicular dysfunction, and much more. This suggests the ethical principle first do no harm was violated by mass mandates. And before beginning, I want to point out that during the pandemic, I dismissed others' concerns about the topic and insisted on masking. I masked my children in public and I regret doing so. Anti-maskers were, uh, anti-maskers may be angry. I was wrong. I am sorry. Now the thread. Uh, at least he had the, at least he had the balls to admit that he was wrong and say that he was sorry. It wasn't like a, I was just trying to do what was best for everybody yeah. and not kill That's grandma. He, uh, like yeah. you, should, you should forgive me for for trying to do the right thing. He actually said, I was wrong. I am sorry. Like, why is that so hard for most of them? Like, I, dude, it was so, yeah, I saw that and I was like, wow, that is refreshing to just see somebody admit I was wrong and not sort of tiptoe around it and make excuses and, and say like, oh, well, my intentions were good. Uh, mm, mm, yeah. And, and like, uh, and you know, my, I had explained it before. My problem with the mask stuff was, the mask that they're having us wear is short, short of, and I don't care if it's a surgical mask, N95, whatever it is, short of like actually wearing a full-on suit, 
uh, you know, a, a gas, like a gas chamber suit. Um, it doesn't matter what you're wearing. Like I, I personally tested a number of different N95 style masks in grain elevators for the better part of a week back a few years ago. And it didn't matter what the mask was when you're around dust and stuff like that. It, it eventually permeates through the mask and you taste the dust in your mouth. A, a really good one will last for about an hour, but like a, a crappy one, you're lucky to get 15, 20 minutes out of it. And, and these are like all N95 masks. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I remember, you know, I, uh, I worked in paint stores pretty much all my childhood, like from age 15 to 22 or something like that. And we used to sell all kinds of, we used to sell the every, you know, the N95s, the, the cheaper ones that don't have those kind of filters and then really intense respirators. And you always had to change those filters. You always had to like wear them properly. The way that we were masking ourselves was just, it was so God, even if the masks were effective, the way that we were using them eliminated any effectiveness, taking them on and off constantly touching them. It, you know, it had you touching your face like a thousand more times a day than you would normally touch your face and your hands are touching everything. Um, I, you know, I initially, I didn't know how like, you know, the, the CO2 effects of, of a mask and everything. It just didn't seem like it's, it's going to be a good idea to wear something like this all day long and not have any sort of negative effects. And then it was just blatantly obvious that it would have a big effect on the cognitive um, ability and, um, you know, the development of children, you know, really young. Yeah. I was going to say, especially the way it, it affects children because uh, facial features and the way we interact as human beings is largely tied to being able to see face, mouth, everything else. And, and a large part of the learning process is all of that. So like, yeah. It, it shouldn't have, and people in education should have been the first ones, like especially early childhood education, should have been the ones on the front line saying, like, "Look, children have to be able to see our faces. Like, they don't, they don't learn and they, develop properly without." Everybody this. knows what's the. It's like ninety percent of communication is is like physical, physical um, movements and things like that. And it's like that. I think that's maybe one of the reasons why I hate talking on the phone. Because I can't see someone's face, it, it really bugs me talking on the phone. So never call me. But <laughs> um, yeah, that was just so. Like I didn't need a study. Like we've already determined that that had that science had been settled. That you need to see people's facial expressions in order to develop. You need to see their mouths. You need to um, have like an unobstructed thing. You know, I, I uh, my mom works with like special needs kids after she like retired, you know, came out of her, I mean, she didn't come out of retirement, but like later in life, she started working with special needs kids. And this one, this one poor girl in China was like chained to a bed for the first, you know, few years of her life. And it just completely fucked her up. Like she's, she's, they, they basically made her into a retarded person. And it's just like she would have been normal if she had had a normal childhood development, but just chained to a bed in like a fucking dark room for the first three years of your life or something like that and did irreputable damage. She she just cannot be a normal person anymore. Her brain development was completely retarded. Um, she had, she can't pick up on, you know, per, like 
personal cues and things like that, social cues and everything. Um, but she would have been a completely normal person. So, and the other thing that's just terrible about this is that we knew very early on that kids were not at risk of, of any COVID complications. Say what you want about uh, all the COVID, a million COVID deaths. I'll give you all of those numbers and all the worst case scenarios. How many of them were children? Practically zero, practically zero. And the ones that were obviously had much serious issues, comorbidities, leukemia, and things like that. So the idea that you're going to uh, stunt this child's development, set them back years. Who knows if they will be the same? I mean, you you don't have a an you know an alter, alternative universe to go through this and be like, well, this is like they ended up being exactly how they would have been. It just took them a little longer to get there. You don't know that. It's uh, it, it's really fucking awful what they did to kids, and it was for no reason. And we knew it was for no reason. It was all just like posturing. And it was just so bizarre to watch them do that. It, my daughter was a is a exceptional student, um, all A's and everything. Like she gets mad if she does, she gets mad about A minuses. Like she wants A plus and everything. Uh, Must take so, after her mother. Uh, no, no, that's a bit of me. Um, I was I was an overachiever. Uh, not that not not to that extent, but she'll. She'll He's figure. smarter than he sounds, ladies and gentlemen. Don't she'll, let the the summer draw fool you. So she'll figure out that uh, there's there's a there's like a risk reward level or what's the uh, the in or output to to um, to productivity. Like you you hit a peak where keeping continuing to perform over a certain level doesn't get you anything extra. Like she'll figure that out eventually. Uh, we haven't gotten to that point in her economics lesson of life just yet. But anyway, like during the whole COVID thing when they shut schools down and like had to do everything remote and didn't like, couldn't do, couldn't actually go to school and have in-person classes and stuff like that. Her grades went in the shitter. Like she, she did not respond well to that. Like they took her out of her element. Like she's a highly competitive person. Like she wants to be around other people and, and see how good or bad they're doing and then try to be better. And they took they took them out of that environment entirely and just left them to their own devices, basically. And like some it's a it's a wonder, like more kids. I guess it's not a wonder. It, it actually happened. Uh, as I say, it's a wonder more kids didn't have like severe like mental breakdowns and stuff after they did that. But they did. They 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 did like in huge, huge numbers. And that, that was widely reported. And and then suppressed almost as quickly as those numbers started to come out because they nobody on the pro lockdown side of it wanted to admit that yeah we we really fucked up kids with with doing this yeah yeah they wanted to pretend that there was just not going to be any negative effects to this and if there were it was like totally you know they would be so minor compared to what was going to happen with covid if we didn't do it it's crazy. And that, that's an interesting point. I didn't think about the, um, you know, some people really thrive off of competition and being, you know, with people like in the same classroom. And that kind of drives you to to do better. I, I'm sure there's a portion of kids who don't like that environment as well and sort of thrive just being in their own 
their own personal space, not thinking about what, you know, what other kids are doing. So I'm sure it cuts both ways. And maybe that's a, a good, a, a good uh, reason to not have this sort of one size fits all cookie cutter government school system where we treat every kid exactly the same. But yeah, there's definitely something to be said for it. Yeah. When, even when I was in class, like it would bother me. I am a pretty competitive person. Uh, and yeah, being in the same classroom and like getting fucking getting your ass kicked by somebody else in, in like in being in their physical presence, that would really bother me. But yeah, if you're just kind of sitting at home doing it by yourself and it just seems like you're all alone and it's just you, then it's like, eh, well, you know, it's harder to push yourself and yeah, maybe or, or yeah, you get into yeah. like this, uh, like this kind of a mental loop of like, you're always losing because you you don't have a you don't have a bar being set by like who you're the people you're competing with so you just kind of get stuck in this well i don't know if i could be doing better or not and so then i feel like i should be doing better and so then it becomes like a why am i not doing better and it, it um yeah that kind of stuff can be uh it can be a little bit debilitating like i, I mean for me i've uh, uh with being ocd and some other stuff uh and and also being very competitive i've had i've had to learn as an adult to like to chill the fuck out and let stuff go like that just to, uh just for my own sanity really but uh and having kids is having kids has helped too um but uh kids force you to reevaluate certain things in life and and uh learn to chill the fuck out a little bit on some areas but yeah i mean you know the way this stuff fucks with kids because they don't kids don't have 39 years of life experience to help them figure out how to like chill out and let that stuff go so they're just stuck you know dealing with it and you took them out of their out of the element where they were actually like being able to interact with their friends and stuff too like i mean losing friends uh through that not for any not for any doing of their own just because they physically weren't allowed to see them anymore that had to suck yeah well and it's you know it's such a different childhood these days too like when I was a kid, way back a million years ago, there wasn't much to do inside. Like we like, I forget when we got cable, but I was like, I was old, you know, I was like in my teens, I think, uh, before we actually had cable TV. And, and then like, even when you had that during the day, there was just, you know, there was nothing, it was like Jerry Springer to watch or something like that, you know? So you, you went outside, what's that? He died. Oh, I did not know that. When when did that happen? Uh, earlier this week. Oh, how yep. old was he? Uh, mid mid to late seventies. Okay, yeah, well, it's getting up there. But yeah, it was just like yeah, you could play video games, I guess. But uh, it, you know, we didn't really have we didn't have the internet um, until I was in probably like eighth grade or something like that. You had dial up, and. You had to like, you know, there was there wasn't much to do, and then you had to convince everybody to like not use the phone so that you could be on the internet, and so like you went outside and you played with kids and you did like physical things. Um, now, yeah, just a, a kid being trapped inside with all of these uh, internet distractions and the social media and stuff, which. I tend to think that is having a, a pretty negative effect uh, on kids, which is one of the the theories that we've sort of played around with why there's more 
of these school shootings happening more frequently. Uh, it's yeah, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot to chew on there. And I, I don't know if we'll ever be able to sort of quantify how much damage they've done, but it isn't zero. I know that. And the damage that COVID would have done to kids was effectively zero. So this was clearly a really bad decision to, to mask kids and, and the parents that did it, especially the ones that were like, you know, did it to kind of virtue signal. Uh, wow. Really is just, uh, just awful. Um, what just, again, you know, it's a great example of the government reaction to things is always going to be worse than the problem itself. Anytime they step in with some sort of solution, I guarantee you it's going to be worse than whatever the problem would have been. Every single time. Like there's, I don't think there's an example that somebody could point to where it's like, oh no, it would have been worse if the government didn't do X, Y, and Z. Um, they've intervened in housing. How The housing crisis was about as bad as it could have ever gotten. Um, they've intervened in, in monetary policy. Look what's happening to the dollar. Yeah, foreign policy is just a disaster. I mean, you know, go back to World War One. <laughs> our involvement in that. Um, it really is just every time they get involved in something, Lyndon Johnson's Great Society, the war on poverty, the war on drugs, their solutions to these, these issues are every single time so much worse than if you would have just let people uh, be free and implement their own solutions on a, a personal or a local level. Well, and speaking of the terrible um, foreign policy and, and the way that our government handles all of that kind of stuff, we've got Joe Biden in South Korea this week uh, trying to set us up for, or was he in South Korea or did the South Korean uh, president come here? Either way, uh, trying to trying to kick off a, a nuclear war with, North Korea and and answering some very tough questions being posed by journalists. Um, tough questions that, as it just so happens, he already had uh, a copy of and was holding yeah. on to. Yeah. Do you have the? Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. Screenshot. Of that. It was so. So funny to to see this and like the people who were posting it is like yeah I mean they've they've been they've been spoon feeding him the questions for the entire time he's been in office like every time he's on stage oh there's yeah a reason, there's a reason that for all of 2021 after he took office whenever they did a press conference it was always in a controlled room and you could see the you could see the teleprompter behind or like if he like had glasses or something or if uh or if there was something like in the background like you could see the teleprompter reflecting where it was behind the reporters so when they asked him questions he could read his answer to the question like he they weren't even letting him answer spontaneously yeah well if you remember how long was it before he gave his first press kind of was like 6 months or something yeah it was it was a record. And when he did give his first one, he had like a whole, he had a pamphlet like that, but it had pictures of all the reporters and their names and everything. Oh, we got a, a screenshot of that too. 
And it just, it's so funny to watch. Like we know that this whole thing is always kind of fucking scripted, right? With every president, but like, yeah, Donald Trump never had like a pamphlet that he was referring to. He always knew who the reporters were and which uh, news agency they were representing and things like that. Um, and you kind of knew that they they had an idea what the questions were going to be and they weren't going to. I mean, Trump was like famous for going off script. You might not be the best example, but like Barack Obama, George W. Bush, they would all like, you know, that this is this is the way politics works and it's, it's theater and it's all sort of fucking controlled, but this is like cartoonishly controlled. <laughs> it's like, it, you know, so, knowing that it was all, knowing it's all controlled and, and knowing that they kind of have a, a script and everything, it kind of makes you wonder if the, uh, the whole shoe throwing by the Iraqi was, was actually scripted as well. Cause George W really, he deftly dodged those shoes that were coming at him. I mean, that was like that was impressive the, the way he maneuvered that situation. Yeah, yeah. Do we have so we have a we have a clip of the interview right in that Twitter feed? Uh, yeah. It was. I mean, it wasn't anything special. It was it effectively it's just the video of the chick walking up and asking her question that are basically okay. and, and the question so. What I was a little confused about was the question did not line up with what was what we saw on the on the card there. Do we have his answer? Is there any um, audio of his answer to the question? I couldn't find that. No, I didn't see that. Um, I did see. So we, we do have a Kareem uh, Jean-Pierre explaining why he has a, a note card and the way they go about uh, deciding who gets to ask the questions and stuff like that. You want to see that? I would love to. Yeah, Karine Jean Pierre is always a very, very she's informative. Always, yeah, she's always a very something. That's for sure. <laughs> so, um, so the way that we have moved forward uh, with this type of uh, process is that we reach out to uh, a number of reporters who uh, who were going to who we know are going to be at the press conference, uh, and that's what we did yesterday. Uh, and also, we try to be really mindful and who who has not gotten a question in a while. Uh, and uh, and so, as you know, we could only pick two reporters yesterday, so that limits our ability on how many reporters we can call on. Um, Mary's not here, but I can say one of the reasons that we uh, we Mary is because she was just named uh, a chief White House correspondent for ABC and had not gotten a, a question in some time. And we picked. The Los Angeles Times, uh, which has gotten a, which has not gotten a question in some time, and I want to add uh, that the fact that California has the largest South Cor uh, Korean American population in any state in the country, and uh, and LA has the biggest population of any city in America, and LAT is the biggest daily paper serving that population. So we are mindful on who we pick and who we want to communicate out to. Yeah, I'm I'm sure they really put a lot of the all of those uh, all of the thought on that different stuff was definitely what. what the, what's what so beautiful about that is she's clearly reading off of a notebook there the entire time. Yeah. It's just so great. Like none of them can go without a script. These people are so fucking incompetent that they they can't think on their feet. They can't even anticipate these kinds of quotes. I guess they can anticipate them enough to have them the answers written out in notebook, but it's just like 
she's she's looking down the entire time. She's reading something that's down there. And the, the question is like, well, can't, why, is Joe Biden capable of uh, answering a question without it having a you know, predetermined and a, a written answer for him to read back verbatim? And she just reads back an answer to that question from a fucking notebook. Jesus Christ, man. This is, these, are the, these are the best and brightest, the ones running the country. Well, and half the time she doesn't even read that well. I, I mean, as somebody who, like for my own show, I read articles out loud. Like that's that's what I do. I'm not great at it, probably because I'm, you know, a redneck. She like butcher like way worse than I do. Butchers these things that, I mean, you would think that they like, because half the time that I'm reading something and I'm doing poorly at reading it, it's because I didn't actually read it beforehand. Uh, but you know, like when she, when she's doing this. She's got like full speeches that she just absolutely butchers. And it's like, um, did nobody go over that with you before you got up there? Like, what's what is wrong? How long has she been doing this now? Long enough that she should be able to fucking read like you while standing at a podium. Get, yeah, I get being, you know, having some butterflies and nervous the first few times you're up there. You're stumbling around a little bit. You think after like a year of doing this, you'd get the hang of it. You'd be at least um moderately better than the first disastrous uh, press conference you gave. And she's still as bad as the day she started. Maybe worse. Just stumbling, bumbling, barely can read off of the thing uh, and just looks so uncomfortable. So uncomfortable. I'd also like to add this. Blah, 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 and, oh my God. They're all just terrible at this. All of them. And <laughs> There's another clip in there, I guess, when she's explaining the the card, right? Uh, Why was he only allowed to take two questions? I didn't. I didn't see. Was there an actual an actual ans- explanation for why they only let him take two questions? I didn't see that. I, I think that's. I think that's a self imposed limit. They could you imagine if he had to do five? Oh my gosh! I, I mean, just picture Joe Biden up there. He he has no idea what's going on. So he has pictures of everything. He has uh, responses written out. Um, he he usually Ron Burgundy's the thing where he reads the part that he's not supposed to read out loud, and he's got to do this like five six times, a, a thirty minute press conference or something like that with complicated questions. No, no. Not going to happen. Did you Out see the thing where Corinne Jean-Pierre was blaming Republicans for the border crisis, saying that they were wanting to defund the Department of Homeland Security and put fentanyl on the streets and stuff? It's like, um, did the did Kevin McCarthy's speechwriter accidentally put his speech in Corinne Jean-Pierre's like? Pack it for the day, and so she's just up there like hammering through it. Like I'm, this is the pay, this is what they gave me, so this is what I'm gonna read. <laughs> that would be the greatest fucking prank of all time if you just like swapped playbooks with them somehow and got and put some like some like hardcore Donald Trump talking points in there, and she just starts reading it, or Biden starts reading it. Somebody in government, please do that for me. He'll read it. Like well, how how far into a sentence about like they're not sending their best? Do you think Joe Biden? It would take Joe Biden to like stop talking and realize that he's been bamboozled. 
Oh, that'd be beautiful. Well, that you would know, be beautiful. There is a there's a particular person who might who might be able to pull something like that off. It's uh, Kamala's speechwriter. Wait, wait, wait! Before we get to that, let's <laughs> pull up that pull up the article from the uh, the the New York or was it the New York Times op-ed or the LA yeah. Times? I think it was the LA Times. New York Let's go through this op-ed real quick because th this guy is going to lay out the case why Kamala Harris matters so much. And it's a fairly lengthy op-ed. I read through probably 90% of it. I skipped some of the, the parts where he's just babbling, but never before have I seen such a compelling case for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris 2024. Scroll down. Can you, uh, you want to read through this a little bit, Boris? A few weeks ago, one of France's most famous public intellectuals, Bernard Henry Levy, gave an interview with the Times on his new documentary. Uh, asked, uh, let's see. And he yeah, said something good. that helped me understand why, as approaching 70, I want to still be a journalist. Um, in Ukraine, I had a feeling for the first time that the world I knew, the world in which I grew up, the world that I want to leave to my children and grandchildren might collapse. I have that same fear. So why is that... Why is Kamala? Ah, here we go. Uh, while you may think the 2024 election is very likely going to be a rerun of 2020, that's not the case for Democrats. This time, Biden's running mate will really matter. We're always told that in the end, people vote for the candidate, vote for the candidate for president, not the vice president. But because Biden would be 86 at the end of the second term, uh, and therefore the chance of his health failing is not small. People will be asked to vote as much for his vice president as for him, maybe more. Okay, just a second. Hang on. Scroll back up because he talks about three things that he's that that just cannot happen, or the country will collapse. Um, there are three things that absolutely cannot be allowed to happen. Israel cannot be allowed to turn into an autocracy like uh, Viktor Orban's Hungary. Ukraine cannot be allowed to fall to Vladimir Putin, and Donald Trump cannot be allowed to occupy the White House ever again. If all three of these things were to happen, the world that I want to leave to my children and grandchildren could completely collapse. Uh, Israel, the only functioning uh, pluralistic democracy in the Middle East, tempered by the rule of law, albeit imperfect, would be lost. The European Union, the United States of Europe, the world's other great multi-ethnic center of free markets, free people, and human rights would be at Putin's mercy. And the United States of America, with a vengeful Trump back in the White House, effectively pardoned for his many attacks on our democratic institutions and his assault on the integrity of our elections, would never be the same. Trump would be unchained and utterly chilling thought. Oh, my gosh. These people have, like, the TDS is real, and it is, like, crippling for them. How do they, how do they survive in a world where Trump's even still alive? Like. Dude, this um, this entire op-ed, I've never seen uh, a longer article get just about every every sentence just being completely wrong and and insane. Uh, but yeah, let's let's go into why why Kamala Harris matters so much. Oh, this one's this one's impressive. I voted for Joe Biden, and I do not want my money back. He is a good man, and he has been a good president, better than the polls give him credit for. This poor guy is living in a, he's living in an alternate reality. 
let's see. Ah, here we go. What it's about the secret? Joe Biden scroll back up? Oh. <laughs> Joe Biden would be my candidate. No matter yeah, what his no age. No matter what his age. Yeah, read that paragraph for me. Joe Biden would be my candidate no matter what his age, as long as he was physically and mentally able, because I see no other Democrat with his blend of political skills, his core belief in the necessity and possibility of national unity, his foreign policy savvy, and his ability to disagree with Trump's supporters while trying to hum without trying to humiliate them. He authentically wants to get the poison out of our political system. That's like the biggest crock of shit ever. He's taken multiple jabs at Trump's supporters directly. He's his foreign policy is terrible. Uh, I, like he's clearly not mentally able to hold the job. Like where is this guy coming up with this shit? I, I'm telling you every single sentence I read through this whole thing and they're almost all as asinine as that paragraph right there. We'll, we'll link to it in the description. You guys can read this if you want to have a good laugh. But this is a guy who, who cannot answer more than two questions without like a, a pop-up book telling him who's going to, who's going to be asking it and how to respond to the question. Mentally and physically capable. The guy falling up the stairs multiple times. He, he never had any of those qualities. So here we go. He says, it's no secret that Vice President Harris has not elevated her stature in the last two years. I don't know what the problem is, whether she was dealt an impossible set of issues to deal with or is in over her head or is contending with a mix of sexism and racism as the first woman of color to serve as vice president. <laughs> All I know is that doubts amongst voters about her abilities to serve as president, which were significant enough for her to quit as a presidential candidate even before the Iowa caucus in 2020, have not gone away. Uh, I mean, at least he got some of that right. Like, people's concerns about her have not gone away. And she yeah, definitely can't not done herself. It could be that she's over her head or just racism and sexism. It's like, okay, I think that's the perfect segue into the next couple of clips that we have lined up. Is she, is Kamala Harris in over her head or is she completely competent, was just dealt a bad hand and, uh, you know, we're just a bunch of uh, misogynist racists that can't uh, ever imagine her um, doing a good job. So somehow we're, our racism is causing her to do a, a bad job. Or is he just trying to explain her low polling? <laughs> I think he's trying to explain her low polling. But she, I mean, she had the lowest polling of a vice president, like in history at one point. It was like 20% uh, was her like approval rating. She, she had her entire staff turned over like four times in a matter of like six months at one point. Like people didn't like working for her. Like people just generally didn't like her. Uh, and like anytime people have been accusatory and saying like, oh, you just you're critical of Kamala and you don't like her because she's a black woman. I'm like, no, I actually look at her record and like everything she's done for her career. That's not for me. It's the it's the Indian part that I don't like. <laughs> you're OK with the you're OK with the half black part. That's it's the Indian. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the Indian. Really, but I, I can't I cannot tolerate that. All those call centers you've had to deal with over the years. 
Yeah. At the same time, Harris has to make the case for herself, ideally by showing more forcefully what she can do. One thing Biden might want to consider is putting Harris in charge of ensuring that Americans, America's transition to the age of artificial intelligence works to strengthen communities and the middle class. It's a big theme that could take her all over the country. Yes, please put her in charge of more things. I would like to see her talk more. Uh, <laughs> this is just so, so bizarre. Like, like you were saying, from the second she started uh, running for president, nobody liked her. No, she never had. And this is like, you know, the Democratic primaries. I understand that, you know, we're, you know, anybody to the to the right of uh, Hillary Clinton is, a, you know, a racist, sexist, uh, white supremacist. But um, the Democratic primary, like she was one of was she the first one not that she was one of the first to, to drop out. Right. Yeah, she dropped out early, early on. I, I mean, the field had not narrowed really at all and she dropped so, out i mean it was it was almost okay. immediately after uh after after uh um shoot she got uh, is better o'rourke did he drop out first who knows? i can't remember but i i just i'm confused because i thought the republicans were the the sexist racist people and the democrats were you know were all the good people so why is she polling so bad among democrats Right. That's a uh, very valid question. <laughs> what did he write about two years ago? Oh, scroll back up just a little bit. Oh. Just a tad. Yeah. I wrote a column more than two years ago suggesting that uh, Biden make Harris his de facto secretary of rural development in charge of closing the opportunity gap, the connectivity gap, the learning gap, the startup gap the anger and alienation gap between rural America and the rest of the country. It would have been a substantive challenge and would have enabled her and the administration to build bridges to rural Republicans. Never happened. You're a rural Republican or not a Republican, but you're a rural guy. You're Justin Hill, Billy Boy Campbell. Do you think uh, Kamala Harris being in charge of all of those gaps? <laughs> I, I had no idea there were so many gaps uh, in the country. I, I don't think a lot of rural people think that there are that many gaps either. And her being in charge of literally anything that has to do with anything rural would only push rural Republicans in the opposite direction. Like she, she does not have anything, nothing about the way she presents herself, the way she behaves. Like it does not appeal to people like me. Um, even, even as uh, you know, as much as I, have a huge problem with the Republican party and, and a lot of the things that they do. Like somebody like her is, is never going to be appealing to rural people. Like she just, she, she doesn't carry herself. Well, she doesn't, she doesn't behave in a way that people would want anything to do with that. Yeah. She just hasn't been given the chance. If Joe Biden gave her more responsibility, you would see all of the benefits, all of the things that Kamala Harris has to offer. I mean, make no mistake about it, he writes, the vice presidency is really going to matter in an election that's really going to matter because I don't want Biden to win the election with 50.1%. I want it to be a landslide rejection of Trumpism and, and politics of division. Yeah, because 
uh, I forgot that Biden's the great uniter. I forgot about that. Yeah, I wanted to send a loud message around the world to the Putins and the Netanyahu's and the what does that say? Mormons. Okay. I can't. Yeah, I can't see the the word. All right. Uh, that there are way way more of us Americans on the center right and the center left. Way more people who are ready to work together for the common good than there are haters and dividers. That's an America worth handing over to our children and our grandchildren. I think we every American agrees that uh, everything's going swell in America these days. The last couple of years have been some of the best in the history of the Republic. Um, but since the vice presidency is going to matter so much, let's have a look-see at, at some Kamala Harris highlights. <laughs> so the most important thing that's going to that's uh, going to help her, you know, take a step up is uh, how well her speechwriter does in the in the yes. future. Yeah, she needs to she needs to go around the country and talk more. I think we can especially if she's especially like this. Hi, I'm Oliver Bartholomew, and I'm sixteen and a half years old, and I'm the speechwriter for Kamala Harris. Mommy and Daddy say, if you find a job you love, you'll never have to work a day in your life. Morning, Frank. Yeah, hey. Hey, Oliver. And my parents were right. Ever since I was little, I liked words. Writing words is fun. So I made writing words my job. Every politics person has a writer, like me, to make good words for them to say. Space is exciting. Space it affects us all, and it connects us all. got that idea when I was thinking about space and how big it is. Man, it's big! It's not all fun, though. Sometimes I have to write about bad stuff, like war. Ukraine is a country in Europe. It exists next to another country called Russia. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. It's cool to see the words I've typed good actually get get set on TV. It's fun. I like it. Once I thought it would be neat if Kuma were a blue suit and told people she was wearing it, because I like blue. I'm a woman sitting at the table wearing a blue suit. It's cool because the suit's blue. And it's the color of the sky. What are you, my ideas? I'm all over. One time, I was on the school bus, and I thought it would be neat if Kamala talked about the school bus. And who doesn't love a yellow school bus, right? Who doesn't love a yellow school bus? Right? Can you raise your hand if you love a yellow school bus, right? I can't take all the credit, though. Me and Mr. Kama are team. You know, like relay racing? You know, you race and someone passes the baton and then, right? But she kind of is crazy or something. And she kind of scares me. <laughs> and you can't fake that kind of performance. Remember Venn diagrams, those three circles? Right. And then let's just see where they overlap. I didn't. I didn't. Did did <laughs> what else do we know about this population, 18 through 24? They are stupid. You're either born with, with it that. or you're either not. It is time for us to do what we have been doing, and that time is every day. 
It's quitting time. I need to get home in time for good. See you tomorrow, Frank. See you later, Oliver. <laughs> Dude, it is. So I would just like to say, imagine if you woke up every day thinking that the world for your children and your grandchildren rested on her shoulders. That's what you're clinging to. And anything else would just be an utter disaster. That level of delusion is, <laughs> yeah, is what uh, most of these people that are suffering from, like, that, I get, okay, people don't like Donald Trump or whatever, but imagine, imagine thinking that is the key. Anything else, the, the country might collapse unless Kamala Harris <laughs> can take over. I, I mean, when she talks, I know somebody said it hurts, it hurts their brain. <laughs> um, it just reminds me of like anytime so, like that joke when somebody says something that's just so like painfully obvious and dumb, you're just like, oh, hang on, let, let me write that one down. Like uh, Ukraine is a country. <laughs> it's next to Russia. <laughs> hang on, hang on. You're going a little fast for me. Let me write that one down. And that was essentially wrong what they did. Dude. Space is big. <laughs> Let me write that one down too. I didn't know that. <laughs> it's just like, God damn, dude. That that's that's who the Democrats are resting their hopes and dreams on. There was, uh, I mean, one, like, there was one where she said, We're going to do what we've done because we have to continue to do what we've been doing so that we can keep doing what we've been doing for this whole time that we've been doing these things. I have no idea what she was actually talking about. Like, I don't think she got to the point of what, what it is we were doing or needed to continue to do, but she said, she said that we were doing it. We've been doing it and we got to keep doing it a lot. Yeah. Yeah. There's that great um, episode of the office where Michael Scott, you know, sometimes I just start a sentence and I don't know where I'm going to go with it. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, she just starts talking, has no idea what she's going to say. And you would think, I mean, how long has she been in politics? Again, you would think you would just uh, develop this skill where you could kind of wing it a little bit and sound somewhat intelligent to the, you know, at least to the 18 to 24 year olds that are stupid. I mean, imagine getting called stupid by Kamala Harris, how insulting that would be. God damn. But like she, you would think that just after doing this for a few years, uh, giving all of these speeches and everything, you could at least just bu like bullshit it. You could fool people long enough that you at least sound halfway intelligent and like you know what you're talking about and not like you're talking to that six-year-old kid. I, I mean, it does sound like she's talking to six-year-olds. Who doesn't love a yellow school bus? Like what? What is this? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, thank God, like she's so important. I mean, I'm like, people are going to be voting for Joe Biden, but really because he's going to be 86 by the end of that term. Uh, I don't think he's got 86 years in him. Is, I really don't. What could be really interesting is who either Trump or DeSantis, whichever one it ends up being the, 
ends up being the candidate, whoever they pick for the vice president, like those debates could actually be interesting because like the, the Kamala Mike Pence debates, they weren't, they weren't interesting. They were just like slap downs. Like she didn't do well. And he like Pence didn't, he didn't do anything to like set himself aside or setting set himself apart. He was just kind of there and like answered the questions the right way where, while she like fumbled around. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, the typical politic, like historically the politician, he answers that you would get. Yeah. They, whoever it is, they need to pick somebody that's going to get up on stage and just like throw everything stupid back at her and make her really look foolish like that. Don't, don't just go up there and try to try to look good yourself. Like make her look worse. Like really, really. Yeah. And yeah, that was one thing that I thought Donald Trump really, really screwed up in the, in the last election was he was talking too much. Just let Joe Biden talk for a while. Just give him the floor and then just say, you know, just, all right, there you go. Yeah. Is this the guy that you want? The guy that was just bumbling about random shit uh, corn pop and kids rubbing on his legs or whatever for the last couple of minutes? Or do you want somebody who can at least put together a, a coherent thought? <laughs> but yeah, the, the Donald Trump debates, I mean, like, there's never going to be anything like that again. And I think I saw something today. I didn't uh, have a chance to read it. It was just like a headline or whatever that he's thinking about skipping the the Republican debates. I don't think that works out well for him. Uh, I think the I think the Republican field is going to be too deep, and and with with somebody like a DeSantis, uh, if he doesn't show up for the debates, then that could that could tank him. Yeah, well, and so DeSantis hasn't even announced yet. Everyone's just assuming that he's going to run for president, but he, did he, he not? hasn't I announced. Thought he was, I thought he did. Unless did it not? happened in the last, maybe it happened in the last couple of days. I didn't think he'd actually made a formal announcement yet, but I could be wrong. Uh, let's see. No, I don't. I thought I saw something that that he had announced or was planning to announce sometime soon. Uh, yeah, well, it's going to have to be pretty soon, I think. But so, who else is going to be running on? Okay, yeah, Sean. Sean confirmed our fact checker. He has not announced yet. Who else is going to be on this Republican uh, Republican ticket? I know uh, Ramswamy that we played the other day. He's he's on the oh, ticket. Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a big fan of him. I mean, he he does say something. About right. Yeah. He uh, does say something just... right, but not. I'm not a super big fan. Um, oh yeah, Nick, uh, Nikki. That's that's whose name I was trying to remember on the last episode. Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley. Yeah. Or I couldn't think of that that chick's name. Yeah, I forget what we were even talking about, but that was that's the name I was trying to come up with. Thank you, Sean. Uh, yeah, Pastor Prime. <laughs> um, but the Democrat. I mean, I know that that guy, whoever wrote that op-ed, I don't think he speaks for the majority of center-left Democrat. I don't think they want Joe Biden to run again, and like the polling indicates nobody likes Kamala Harris. And I don't think it's based on racism or misogyny. I think it's based on who she is as a person and how she performs on the political stage. 
So I think they are deathly afraid of a Biden-Harris 2024 campaign. Um, I, I, you know, we have the, the Kennedy running, uh, Marianne Williamson, who, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be anything to that. And, and Gavin Newsom, I know there's a lot of talk about him, but he hasn't announced yet as far as I know, right? No, Newsom has not. Yeah, the Democrat bench is not deep. Well, and they're not even going to do debates. So they're not going to give any of them an opportunity to get up there and and make uh, Biden look yeah, like an and, idiot. Right. And nobody, you know, they usually don't challenge, usually don't get a challenge of the incumbent for their second term. You know, there's not who went up against Donald Trump last year was like Bill Weld or something. <laughs> and he never, like you never saw anything from him or really heard him talk or anything like that. So there's sort of an unwritten rule that you don't challenge the, the incumbent in your party. So, but man, another, could you imagine another four years of the, Biden lasted longer than anybody thought, assuming that is Joe Biden and not some weird alien double that they came up with. There's some video of him like scratching the back of his neck and it just like rolls up and then it slowly <laughs> smooths back out. That's fucking creepy. Yeah. yeah, like that Men in Black scene. It wasn't Edgar. It was somebody wearing Edgar. <laughs> uh, but man, there's... I mean, we were all sort of taking bets on how long he would last. I don't think anybody had him making it through an entire term. And he did just announce, I think it was last week or was it earlier this week, that he is running again. So he is planning on doing this until he's 86. Like I said, I don't think he's got 86 in him. I really don't. Initially, I he thought it was at 18 months. So I, obviously I missed yeah, I think I was on record like uh, the first the first uh, NFL playoffs. You'd be gone by then. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I got to I got to tip my hat to him. He's been able to keep this whatever whatever you're going to call this presidency. He's been able to keep it together on a Biden curve for a lot longer than any of us imagined. But man, is it is it just hilarious to see how much handling he requires from the, you know, they're marking X's on the ground where he's got to stand like, this is where you're going to go and walking him down, like holding on to him, walking him down the stairs. Here's the reporter's picture. This is the newspaper. Here's the question. Here's your answer. Here's you. This is what you say in big, bold letters. And this is what you're supposed to do. <laughs> it's just like, I, we might as well just have like a fucking puppet up there, like a ventriloquist or something. Anyway, what are you doing over there? What are you clicking on? <laughs> oh, I was just looking at, uh, I've got the, the, uh, chat for, uh, rumble pulled up and, uh, Marcy, Marcy's chatting over there said, uh, she had she underestimated the miracle of modern medicine. She had, she put Biden at uh, at six months. Yeah, that is a great testament to the U.S. Uh, healthcare system. <laughs> it managed to keep this fucking guy walking around for long long after he should have been. <laughs> uh, what did I, I think I sent you one more Kamala Harris thing? Was it another clip of her giving speeches? No. 
Thought I did. No, that was everything I had on on Kamala. Are you sure? Yeah. Oh yeah, I guess it was. All right. <laughs> We're so well organized. <laughs> anyway, I think we should probably wrap it up there. We're at an hour and twenty minutes. Happy hour, eight thirty tonight. Is that right? I'll actually be uh, able to. I won't. I won't be driving through a tsunami in uh, Nashville with all kinds of traffic, so I should be able to make it happen. And you're gonna, you're gonna, okay. So you'll actually start the meeting this time, not make me look like an idiot. Yes, yes. I'll, I will. I will do it. I will do it right this time. Uh, let's do it a little earlier than that. All right. You tell let's, me the time. I'll get do, it set up. I'll send you the link as soon as we wrap up here. Let's do seven o'clock Central Standard Time. All right. And I should be able to go for at least at least a little over an hour or so that way. Um, like I said, I'm thinking of changing. Do we? Do we? Oh, I never put that poll up by Facebook group. Uh, I'm thinking of changing the date for that. I, I don't know if Friday is the best day to do it. Get the poll up quick. I don't know. Yeah, because, you know, it's not like everybody's getting hammered on the show anyway, except for, uh, except for one Jim. man who remained, yeah, remained nameless, Mr. Magoo. Uh, but maybe, yeah, maybe like a Thursday thing would, would be better for people. I don't know. We'll see. I'll, I'll put up a, I'll put up a, I don't even know how to do a fucking poll, but I'll, I'll figure it out. Am I allowed on Facebook still? Like, I, I can't remember if I'm, my ban is up. I don't know. I posted a fucking Hunter Biden meme like a year and a half ago or something. They just keep digging through the, the old uh, meme streams and getting me for things. It's pretty goddamn hilarious. It is. <laughs> it is very hilarious. Uh, um, because I'll get a notification way too frequently that uh, a moderator of the group has had content removed. I'm like, well, it wasn't me who y'all keep removing stuff from. And it's you every time. Yeah. It's me, but it, it was, there should be a statute of limitations on this. Uh, I don't know. You can't go back to like 2020 and ding me for a, a meme that I posted three years ago, but I guess they can, they can do whatever they want. Uh, so yeah, we'll do a, we'll do a happy hour, a proper happy hour tonight. Um, hopefully we won't have any technical issues. You got any, uh, I'm going to put out something for the Substack later this afternoon. That's what I gotta, I gotta finish working on. So you can check that out. I don't know. You got anything else going on? No, not really. Nothing I can think of off the top of my head. Trying to, All right. trying to start Just, shit at a, at a. Just keep fucking with the school. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we'll link to those articles in the description. Um, I don't know about you all, but I feel very, very confident that our republic will be in great hands, assuming Biden-Harris 2024 wins in a landslide victory. Not just a 50.1%. We need a, a landslide, a complete repudiation of Trumpism. And, uh, and all will be well in the world. Thank God. What a crazy time to be alive. But, uh, you know, follow us on Twitter. Our handles are there. Check out the Substack. I'll link to that in the description. Do all that for us. 
join us for happy hour tonight. You become a supporting listener. You get to do that or support the Substack, and you'll get an invite as well. And we will be back on Tuesday with a brand new episode for you. Until then, you know the drill. Just keep on pedaling that so-called fiction. Peace.